You know what time it is. It's time to podcast your weekly journey through the world of Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm Lance, your host and tour guide through this underworld of children's card games and plot armor, where the English dub will be smashed to pieces, overanalyzed, and mocked, mostly from a loving place. Just a quick PSA before we get started. I'd like to make sure everyone who's listening is aware of some of the legal ways to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! online, as there are plenty, at least at the time of this recording. Netflix, Hulu, and Yu-Gi-Oh!.com are all viable options. If you know of any other legal avenues, please feel free to let me know. Now, let's prepare to enter the Shadow Realm. Before I get into the actual review of the episode, I would first like to apologize for the delay in this episode. The holiday really got in the way and delayed me on recording and editing, and then my inability to access Wi-Fi really um, made it hard to upload, but I'm hoping that you will forgive me for that. I'd also like to apologize in advance just in case the audio quality or the acoustics are not what you're used to. I'm actually in a different place recording now. Um, In my usual recording room, I have hardwood floors, and it's a really closed space. This has carpeted and much more open, so if, you know, there's some differences between all the other episodes in this episode, that's why. Season 1, Episode 7, Attack from the Deep, also comes with no expositional intro and no recap, but it is a tidbit longer than the last episode, so I guess I'll take it. We open up on the gang just after Joey has defeated Mai, and he's celebrating having two star chips now. Taya wants him to calm down, but Tristan tells her to cut him some slack because no one really expected him to ever beat Mai. Although true, it seems a little backhanded for Joey's supposed closest friend Tristan to be talking about him like that. But Yuki chimes in, saying he knew Joey could do it and that he's really proud of him. Aww. As Joey continues to celebrate, he is stopped by his stomach, which growls quite loudly, and he exclaims that all of that dueling made him hungry. When he asks if anyone remembered to bring any food, they all simultaneously say, Sorry, Joe. First off, what timing? I know it's scripted, but suspend that knowledge and that synchronicity is dynamite. Secondly, you know that you would be there for an undetermined amount of time on an island and didn't know if provisions would be provided on the island, and no one brought any food. These are geniuses, ladies and gentlemen. Yugi says, I haven't seen any burger stands or restaurants since we got here. First, what would make you think there would be any, Yugi? You went to an island. Rich dude throwing a tournament, he's not going to have restaurants on the island. If anything, if provisions are being provided, he's going to have his massive kitchen cookie stuff, but whatever. And also, just to solidify that 4Kids wants you to believe that these are American children, burger stands. Taya then adds that she needs her five basic food groups, or it's metabolic meltdown. Well, you especially should have packed some food then, Taya. Geniuses, all of you. Then Tristan decides to play the part of the hero as he indicates that he's got it covered, and he pulls out an outdoor survival guide. Naturally, everyone else is disappointed. Joey even asks if they can eat it. I know this is meant to be a joke, and that it wouldn't be very nutritious, but you can technically eat it, Joe, as long as the ink isn't, you know, poisonous. But technically, you can eat it, because it's paper. 
Tristan explains that it lists all the berries, grass, and such that they can eat, which for whatever reason grosses out the rest of the gang. Why are we so grossed out? You should have brought food. Granted, food would be preferable to a survival guide, but this is probably the only moment Tristan actually will ever get to be more useful than any other member of the gang. And y'all are just crapping all over him. As Joey starts to berate Tristan for mistaking him for a squirrel, okay, he catches a whiff of something in the air. Joey's nose to the rescue again! He tells Tristan that he doesn't need his book because he smells something cooking just off in the distance, and then he takes off running. Taya believes Joey's hallucinating, and Tristan reminds her that it wasn't Joey's brain that beat my, it was his nose. Again, an understated backhand from Tristan. Is this how it's going to be for the rest of the series? Because I'm not really here for it. We then get a hard cut back to the gang, who have now arrived at a cliff overlooking the ocean with a fire pit cooking some fish on whittled sticks. Joey exclaims that he loves barbecued fish. Insert another unnecessary Americanism. Joey then starts to run towards the fish to take them, and Taya stops him, asking what makes him so sure they are for him. And he replies with... Eat first and ask questions later. Your stomachs will thank me. We get a little glimpse here into the moral stances of some of the characters. Joey's usually an upstanding guy, minus the bullying he used to do before he and Yugi got really close. But he's a little hungry now and thinks that that justifies stealing. Because it is stealing. Those fish were obviously caught and are being cooked by somebody else for them, not for him. Meanwhile, Taya, despite also being hungry, still sees the immorality in stealing, even if it is to eat. Tristan then says, some people have no self-control, before running after Joey to join in the chowage of fish. As the gang are sitting down around the fire, Tristan and Joey are the only ones eating, and a hand wearing a dueling glove pulls a man doused in water and brandishing a harpoon over the cliff's edge. The camera... <laughs> camera. Fully pans on to him, and who is it but Mako Tsunami. Told you he'd be back. You didn't believe me, but I told you. He says to himself that they should enjoy this feast because it will be their last meal. What is with this show and insinuating that people are going to die when clearly there's no indication that they will actually do so? Also, Mako, are you going to kill people over three fish? Really? Really? Mako proceeds to confront the gang, calling them poachers and wondering why they have no manners. Then a wave crashes on him and sweeps him back out to sea. I thought they were uh, on top of a huge cliff. Like, how was that wave large enough to scale the cliff, still be taller than Mako, and be able to sweep him back out? <sighs> After he raises himself back onto the clifftop, wait, how'd he climb back up so fast? He resumes confronting the gang. Joey tries telling him to chill out because it's only a few fish. Mako comes back by saying, To steal a fisherman's catch proves you have no honor. Which is true. That's their livelihood and their way of life. Yugi then notices the dueling glove on Mako's hand and surmises that he must be Mako Tsunami, the top-ranked ocean duelist. Surely there's a better way to phrase that? Because it just... It doesn't roll off the tongue. Like at all. Mako inquires as to who Yugi is, and Joey follows up to Yugi's comment by calling Mako a freaky fish guy. Mako replies with, I am not a freaky fish guy! I am Mako Tsunami, duelist extraordinaire of the seven seas! And Taya begins to laugh. 
When Mako asks her what she finds so funny, she indicates that there's company on his head. An octopus apparently hitched a ride in his hair after his brief fall back into the ocean. He throws the octopus back into the ocean, much to the disappointment of Joey and Tristan. Mako then turns to Yugi and asks about the two dimwits who just tried to eat a live octopus. He ignores Mako's question and tells him he is Yugi Moto and apologizes for Mako's fish. Yugi clearly thinks it's okay to demand information from people while completely ignoring their questions until he wants to answer them. Rude. Mako exclaims that it would be his honor to face the only duelist to ever beat Kaiba in a duel. Also, his whole demeanor changes. He claims that he's been ungracious and tells the gang that they may eat their fill since they are friends of Yukimoto. It is then cemented to be a running gag to call Mako a freaky fish guy, as Tristan says, Freaky fish guy really knows how to cook. Comedy. As Taya and Yugi talk amongst themselves about how good the fish are, Mako is seen laughing to himself and smiling devilishly. After the meal, the gang are asking Mako about his background and such. Uh, Mako says that he has had to fend for himself since he was a tadpole. Okay, freaky fish guy. But his father was the one who taught him how to fish and cook. Yugi asks him what brought him to the island, and Mako responds by informing us that he was raised on the sea, and it is his wish to use the prize money from the tournament to buy a vessel of his own and sail the seas endlessly. Taya thinks that that would just be the best thing to live out life on the sea. Actually, Taya, it'd be pretty bad, especially since you couldn't even remember to bring any food for a stay on this island despite the fact that you have to have your five basic food groups. You would die. After dinner and a conversation, trademark, the gang tries to leave and Mako chucks his harpoon at Yugi, nearly impaling him in the foot. Like, what in the actual flippity-flop? It's not what people do. Don't go around chucking spears at people. Mako then asks that as payment for the food, maybe Yugi would honor him with a duel. He also cites that his fish were actually bait for him to reel in unsuspecting duelists. Like in these puns. He actually says that he reeled you three right in. Which three? Only two of them are duelists. And then he includes, but I never expected to catch Yugi Moto. Okay, so you three means Joey, Taya, and Tristan, but only one of them is a duelist. So, I don't know. It's just, it's really weird writing here. Mako finishes by saying that he already pulled this trap on one duelist earlier, but he was not a worthy opponent. Yugi, however, would most definitely give him a real challenge. We then get Yugi's super sexy transformation, and Big Yugi accepts Mako's challenge. A duel arena then begins rising up out of the ocean. There's no way this is feasible. It could never be waterproofed with all the moving parts and intricate machinery. But that's what they do comes out of the ocean. The field is split into two halves, one land, one sea, go figure, and they both wager two star chips. So this is a fairly low impact duel since neither of them will be knocked out of the tournament if they lose. Do I even need to cover the rest of this episode? Useless episodes. It becomes clear with Mako's first monster that the ocean half of the field will literally conceal every monster he plays. More superb rule-bending here. Yugi also says that he can't even attack while Mako's monsters are submerged, so he also gets free immunity? 
What even is this episode? Because he's so confused, Mako guesses that this is Yugi's first encounter with sea-based duel monsters. No? It's these god-awful rules that Pegasus added. Because obviously there's no way to implement this kind of bullcrap mechanic in a real tabletop version game, right? Right? Oh, and they get a field power bonus on top of being completely concealed by the water and immune to attacks. Naturally, Yugi's first monster, Horned Imp, falls victim to Mako's monster, Fiend Kraken. And after some nice sportsmanship from Yugi congratulating Mako on a great opening move, Yugi counters with the Feral Imp, which apparently inherently attacks using electricity, which I was not aware of. So, Yugi's trying this strategy again. Anyone want to put bets on whether it works or not? Also, I'd like to take this time, really quick, for a science break. I'd say this will become a returning segment, but I'm not sure. It will happen frequently enough for me to actually say that and it means something. But water, in fact, does not conduct electricity. I know, I know, but hear me out. It's actually the impurities in the water, namely ions, that actually conduct the electricity. And this has been Lance's science break. As a counter to Yugi's counter, Mako plays the giant jellyfish, which is just jellyfish in the real life TCG. And it sounds like a freaking whale. Why? And although we can hear it, we can't actually see it, which just makes it comical when Mako plays it and yells, BEHOLD! Yugi then plays the Horn of the Unicorn on top of, yes, literally on top of, Feral Imp. That's not how that works. What are you doing? Of course, Yugi's attack fails because plot, but it's really because Giant Jellyfish has the ability to absorb all electrical attacks, giving Mako's monsters another layer of immunity. Why? This isn't skill. This is just Mako playing a bunch of Deus Ex Machina and making Yugi unable to play the game. Yugi's Feral Imp is then demolished by the Fiend Kraken, but he comes back with Silver Fang, which is a wolf. And a weak wolf at that. And combines it with the Magic of the Full Moon. Not sure if that's supposed to be the name of the card, or if it's just Full Moon, or... What? Mako then reminds Yugi that the moon controls the tide, causing them to rise. You know, Mako, you're not wrong, but it also causes them to recede, so, uh. Mako's next monster, Kiryoshin, takes out Silver Fang with a tidal wave, but that's not all it did. Bum, bum, bum! It also flooded most of Yugi's side of the field, leaving only one space for his monsters. Yay! More contrived nonsense! Gotta make Yugi work too hard for literally everything, don't we? <sighs> it's a good thing this episode doesn't really mean much, or I might be getting really worked up at this point. Just kidding. I'm so worked up right now. Even when I know this episode has almost no consequences. Mako then says Yugi is lucky, because usually, Kiryoshin leaves no land behind after it attacks. So what dictates whether it leaves land unflooded? Also, how many games have you actually played where these rules are in effect? Because I believe you've only played one before this. I don't understand what's happening right now. Also, we get a look at Mako's hand while he's talking right here, and none of the cards in his hand have pictures. Small and random, but, you know, nifty. We then get some more backstory on Mako and his father. They were out on his father's boat when Mako was quite young. 
and a storm suddenly brewed up, capsizing the boat. Before it capsized, though, his father secured Mako to the boat, ensuring his safety. However, he was unable to secure himself. Presumably, his father is dead, but Mako says he wants to buy a boat of his own to sail the seas and search for him. This is actually kind of messed up, and it seems like Mako might be delusional. Like, I get that his father was some, like, really great fisherman, and he's probably putting him up on a pedestal in his brain, how great his father was and how much he taught him in life. But in all actuality, if you're out on the ocean and your boat capsizes during a storm and you are lost at sea, statistically, you're dead. And it's been years since this happened, and you don't think that he maybe found a way home or would have found a way home. I don't know. All of a sudden, this episode took a really sad turn. Yugi plays the giant soldier of stone in his one little square of land and actually directs it to attack. But none of Mako's monsters, no. He's going to attack a card that he played himself. The Moon! For those unaware, Attack the Moon is a relatively new card in the real-life card game, specifically referencing this moment in the anime. Also, shouldn't the moon have been destroyed when Silverfang was? Unless it wasn't an equipped card. I mean, I guess it wasn't, because it's still on the field. Whatever. This attack causes the moon to explode, and the tide to go out on the field. Yugi then informs Mako of what I was saying earlier. The moon controls both the ebb and flow of the tide. You'd think a fisherman would already know that kind of thing, but whatever. Apparently, this gets rid of all the water on the field, beaching all of Mako's monsters. But there was water on half of the field before the moon was even there, and Kiryoshin was the reason for most of the field being flooded, not the moon. I'm so confused. Yugi then plays the Curse of Dragon and Burning Land combo like he did in his duel with Weevil. But instead of destroying the field, it actually destroys all of Mako's monsters and wipes out his life points. So, we're just changing what cards do now, huh? Okay, whatever. Mako and Yugi then congratulate each other on an honorable and well-fought duel. This takes Mako down to one or two starships and gives Yugi five of the ten he needs to access the castle and the finals. Mako then jumps back into the ocean to fish for more food since the gang ate all he had. And the gang contemplate what they'll have to do the next time they get hungry, laughing at Tristan when he brings up his survival guide again. In this episode, we were introduced again to Mako Tsunami, who's pretty much a one-off character who serves no purpose later in this season. We'll see him next season, but he has now served his usefulness, giving Yugi his first relatively useless duel that was actually pretty honorable, all bullcrap rules and mechanics aside. But that's pretty much all the information in this nearly filler episode. Next week, we'll have our first ever triple feature episode. Looking at season one, episodes eight, nine, and ten. Everything's relative, duel with a ghoul, and give up the ghost. So make sure you watch all three before next week's episode. But before then, query for the week. Do you think Mako and Yugi should have gone all or nothing, or do you prefer this lower impact episode? Do you think the most rule-bending part of the episode was the monsters being concealed by the water? Or maybe giant jellyfish absorbing electric attacks? Or Yugi attacking his own moon? Or some other fourth option? And lastly, are you excited to get updates on Kaiba? Because, spoiler alert, he's coming back soon!
Let me know what you think, or if you have any other comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email me at itstimetopodcast at gmail.com, and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash itstimetopodcast, and on Twitter at itstime2podcast. If you can, please consider backing me on Patreon at patreon.com slash itstimetopodcast. This will help me continue to bring awesome content to you guys, expand in the future, and give even more back to this wonderful community we are building. But till next time, your move.